Why should I be your podcast apprentice? Well, I'm a hard worker, I'm a quick learner, and I know the importance of a podcast. And what's that? I don't know, man, to hang out with my best friend. All right, you got the job. I guess that's it. Nice. We, I, I do feel it's <laughs> underrated how poorly that interview goes. Right, yeah. I don't know why that's not a more major part of the plot. Right, like she burns that bridge immediately. immediately. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. I just like, and look, I don't want to do the cinema. Like, I, I'm going to complain about cinema sins on this episode a little bit and how it's destroyed our ability to analyze art. But mm-hmm. like, uh, not to be cinema sinsy about it, but it really is like, maybe don't, may, maybe if you're one of like three people to get to go into the cool wish room, don't start questioning it immediately. Right, exactly. Welcome to the Disney desk, everyone. Carter here. And I'm Sydney. And at long last, after an entire year of celebrating, a year plus, as Sydney views it, of celebrating, preparing, getting excited, hyping up the Disney company. Right. This is it. This is the centennial film that they have been hyping up and branding as a film a century in the making. Is that the branding for it? Is that all, is that all they have to say about it? <laughs> Yeah, that was, like, I will say, like, I guess we can talk about, like, the reviews and reception this film has gotten, but I really do mm-hmm. feel like it was always going to have a target on its back the minute you come, your first trailer has the tagline, the film A Century in the Making. I feel right. like that just sets you up to be hyper-analyzed. Right, right. I mean, later posters, I feel like they were like, okay, let's pull it back a little bit. Later posters had more simple stuff like, be careful what you wish for. Right, Okay. Um, but basically, if you haven't figured it out yet, today Carter and I are talking about Disney's Wish. Yes, Disney's Wish, their 62nd um, original animated film from the Walt Disney Animation Studios. It Mm -hmm. is what they've decided to make their sort of like, sort of the capper, the grand finale of the Disney 100. Right. Um, it is a film I have been immensely excited for since they announced it like a year and change ago. Um, and kind of like in a lot of ways, I, again, I talked about it, it's kind of perfect that we started our podcast when I did because we just got to start as all of this was revving up. It felt like a right. natural, like, it felt like the natural culmination of an era for this podcast. Yeah, definitely. I almost like I'm overwhelmed to begin where to start. It Like, it's so interesting because we have... The movie came out last month. It came out around Thanksgiving. So we have had a couple weeks to sit and engage with the film. Right. And I also feel like since, I guess, October or even probably before that, probably since, probably all the way back to when we first visited. So that was nearly a year. Well, not nearly a year ago, but this February, I guess, is when we first visited um, the, you know, the Disney 100 exhibit in Philly. And like, I feel like since, since then we have like been sort of micro dosing (laughs) like this film, um, more and more and more in the last few months and talking about like already what we sort of feel about it. This, this is going to be an interesting talk. Um, because we've already, especially for those of you that follow our Patreon, um, like, you already kind of know sort of, like, what our, like, preconceptions of this was going in. And I guess we'll talk more about that later. But um, yes. 
Yeah. This film I'm feels glad like a film be where... talking about this. Oh, yeah. Like, look, this... I More than any other Disney film, maybe ever, and certainly of the recent animated canon, other than maybe Frozen 2, this was a film that felt like everyone had kind of decided their opinions before they went yeah. in. It felt like a film... I, have, I rarely see a film get this, like, hyper-analyzed before when it's only, like, two trailers and maybe a clip. Um, mm-hmm. Like, they decided, because they couldn't promote the film with actors, they decided to release the soundtrack piecemeal one song at a time, and it was literally a week of discourse for every single song. It felt like we were in the middle of a congressional hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, like, <laughs> I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. I have been antsy as all get out to see you this You have been antsy, yeah. Like, that last week, I was trying so hard to get us to see one of the early screenings, and then I was, like, I know. having, like, quiet panic attacks as I just kept waiting. Why? Like, it really... Because it mattered. I don't... Look, I, I... It's hard to explain, but it's just, like... For one, I love the idea. I love the premise of the film. Like, again, the hook of the film sounds interesting. It's their first original sort of, like, musically princess movie since Moana. It's sort of what all of this has been building up to in terms of, like, all the celebrating. And, like, Disney's in an interesting place. Like, I feel like I let myself... It's the one time I've really felt like a Disney adult where I've let myself get sucked into the hype of a thing. Because, like, I was excited to see Strange World. I was excited to see Encanto. But I didn't know how much I was going to love Encanto going in. I didn't know if I was going to like Raya or not as we sat down to watch it together. Like, this one, I was all in on i guess my question is like like your anxiety about it which was truly palpable like is is like why why did it matter to you that this was good i don't even know if it was good i like i don't even know if it was a matter of whether or not it was good to be perfectly honest with you it's the only other time i've really felt this in a while was like avengers endgame or like um Star Wars 7, like, Force Awakens, Mm -hmm. where it's just, like, this feels like it has so much weight and, like, has so much event written all over it. And, like, there's so many thoughts and feelings I have as someone who loves to make these things and loves to talk about these things. Yeah. I just had to see it to know. Like, I couldn't just go on speculating anymore. Because you remember how crazy people got when Force Awakens was coming out in terms of, like, the conspiracies and stuff. People thought... People thought Adam Driver was a red herring and he actually wasn't Kylo Ren and Kylo Ren was actually like Mark Hamill. That was like a consistent theory I was seeing. And it just got so bloated and like, yeah, people, I mean, that one, we don't need to talk about Star Wars anymore. Um, Ever again. We are. Yeah. Yeah, we're playing all the bit. We're playing all the hits today, guys. Because this is if if this is right. what everything was building up to for the Disney company, it's what everything was building up to for the Disney desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just really was just like I need this out of my system. I just need to know what it is. Not trailers, not marketing spin, not catchphrases. I need to know what it is as a piece of art, so I can sit down and have that piece of art in my life with no like, no 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 anticipation. No internet right noise. Yeah, no noise, just me, my feelings, and my relationship to a piece of art. Okay. That and I think sense. that's also, like, the, the the frustrating thing for me talking about this movie is it's just... And I talked about this a little bit in my notes from the host, but just as I've, like, grappled with other people's reviews and other people's discussion about this film, it just has disappointed me that, like, I just feel like people haven't really engaged with it, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, so much of I'm the discourse ends up... Be- yeah, so much of the discourse ends up being more about, like, the state of Disney or the Disney company or this era of Disney, where 
I don't know. I feel like one of the things I've wanted to push this show toward is this fight, uh, like main thesis of like every piece of art deserves to exist and it's worth analyzing and it's worth engaging with on its own terms. And I feel like that's something we've, even with Lightyear, something we like really didn't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like it's something we've done a pretty good job with. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess, you know, to your credit, since I've left social media, like I have been mostly totally detached from Mm -hmm. from most of the internet discourse around this i really only engage with youtube and like youtube is very carefully tailored to like things i already watch so it's not Mm -hmm. like i'm necessarily seeing every single piece of opinion um that has come down the chute from from wish Mm -hmm. um and i guess i can say I guess that that sort of I don't know if that makes me like more credible <laughs> in that like I haven't really I've only been influenced by my own opinions of the trailer up until this point mm-hmm. and not really by what anyone else has has said although I guess I worry that like some of the conclusions I've naturally arrived at may may be very similar to some of the discourse that is already going around I mean that's that that's that might be a given they might shock and disturb the American people. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> All right, we have a lot to talk about on this episode. I, my list of notes are ridiculous, but before we dive in, it is time for yet another Internet Minute. Okay, for today's Internet Minute, we have an article from um, our Judas Variety, <laughs> are they are i mean i don't know i have some thoughts about we have beef. variety but <laughs> I, we have a little bit of a beef yeah like i mean they're on our list i feel like they're on our shit list if we have one there's just like there's two things on it it's the lorax and variety as a publication <laughs> Right, like I, yeah, that's what I mean. I'm like, well, I'm trying to keep our shit list light, at least for right. movies, right? Because it's like, again, the thing I've learned, come to appreciate is like, no one wakes up and it's like, we're making a piece of shit today. Let's right go. here we go. We want to be hated. Even by Lightyear everybody. has, right? Yeah. I even Lightyear had no intentions. Yeah, like I, I feel f- like forgiving of Lightyear. I can honor it right. for what it is, even though I don't ever want to watch it again. The Lorax I going to that hell. If they took. Yeah. I, I maintain that if you took the title Lightyear off of it, we would have been way nicer to it. It's right. like, yeah, it's kind of a fun sci-fi movie. Right, exactly. Like, I mean, I'm like, maybe it's a little You're more You're 100% right. World. I don't know. If they didn't announce their thesis in the beginning, I would have been, right. it would have been fine. I would have no complaints. That's the problem. Right. <laughs> Which I actually think is a part of the problem with Wish, but um, mm, we'll get You might to be that. right. Anyway, here we go. Nickelodeon taps SpongeBob, Patrick Starr, Sandy Cheeks to help call Super Bowl 53. <laughs> oh boy. Are you ready to see pro bowlers get Fuck dragged by Patrick Starr? <laughs> oh my god. I I mean, that's the thing. Like, look, uh, for people who don't follow the NFL, it's a weird flux year where there's a lot it, it, there's a lot of parody, there's no dominant teams, right. and a lot of like the teams that are going to make the playoffs have their backup quarterbacks. Mhm. If I'm the NFL, I'm like, look, I know we're not supposed to rig things, but can we please make sure, like, two of the best teams get in? Because we can't have Patrick Starr 
making fun here. of Mitchell <laughs> Trubisky of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right. It's not going <laughs> to. Yeah. Right. Russell Wilson cannot be in this football game. Patrick exactly. Starr already dragged yeah. him once. We no, can't he have can't this handle anymore. Time. His self-esteem cannot handle it. The league will not survive. Um, so basically, we have briefly talked about on this show. I feel like it was around last Christmas time, actually, because we've we've talked about the mm-hmm. NFL um, slash CBS doing their Nickelodeon Slime Time games. They have mm-hmm. they have a show called Slime Time, which um, is where they do like sort of a weekly wrap up, if you will, of like that week's football games. They pick an MVP, which is like the Nickelodeon valuable player right. or whatever, and they give them a little, like, Nickelodeon blimp or whatever, or, like, there's a trophy for it. And then they slime them or something. I don't know. We're still sticking to the slime thing. Um, but... How did that even anyway, start? I don't know. I would love... When, when we do Nickelodeon month or whatever we're going to do, like, we'll, we'll have to do some serious investigating on slime. Um, but anyway, th- like, we have talked about the relationship between... Nickelodeon and football I which which I think to this day is probably one of the smartest business moves like in this industry in terms of I like would agree with that. partnering things together in terms of a uh, yeah for CBS and the NFL to make this deal right here because like they do some really really cool things uh, mm-hmm. on on Nickelodeon for football. And every year there there is, like, an annual, like, actual game that is is slimified, it, you know, has, like, Nickelodeon. Last mm-hmm. year it was on Christmas Day. Um, yes. I haven't heard any announcements about that, or perhaps this is it. Maybe there isn't going to be, like, a regular season game. They're just doing the Super Bowl. Maybe, because I, I haven't heard any like announcements. like, escalation of the art. Right, I guess. Um, but but it's a, you know, if, if this is anything like those games, it's a really cool event that both kids and adults love to watch. They do some cool effects on the field uh, where it looks like the normal game. It's, this is different from that Toy Story thing where they were all like toys and it glitched out the entire yeah, where time. Yeah, it's motion capture. Um, but this will... You know, it's, it's the game footage, but it just sometimes looks like the ball is like a like I don't know, a present or like at least at, at Christmas time it looked like it, they were holding like ornaments or like they're throwing mm-hmm. like a gift or something like that. And then like it's if like you they get, put filters over the game. Yeah, they put filters over the game. They have this really cool like slime effect where if you get a touchdown, it, they like spray slime into the end zone. It's all like this this filtered effect. Anyway. So apparently they're they're having like a co-current um like I guess stream. I don't even know what it'll be on if it'll be on Paramount Plus or what of the game with different commentators in addition to being commentated by Tom Kenny and um Fogerba- Bill Fogerbachy um like uh, as their respective characters, you know, commentating the the Super Bowl. <laughs> so, and I'm assuming there'll be a, an appearance by the Bikini Bottom marching band. I don't see why there wouldn't be. Right. This feels like, in small part, a means to rectify a wrong. Right. A yes. Wrong. Yes. That year, we all wanted. Uh, I, oh, shoot. What super? I be, was it Atlanta versus New England. That it was whenever Steve Hillenburg passed away. Yeah. There was an idea to have the Sweet Victory play at the Super Bowl. We get 
a little bit of original animation. They play right. the opening number, but then it turns into Travis Scott's sicko mode, which is doubly yeah. insulting now that Travis Scott is kind of complicit in several deaths. Is an enemy of deaths. the state, yeah. Yes, still at large, still inexplicably <laughs> right. in Fortnite. Right. Um, I, but, you know, I, like, again, you're right. This is one of the smartest business things um, one of the smartest business things the NFL has done in terms of like, because people get so mad about the freaking Taylor Swift thing. And it's like, one, she is literally one of the three most iconic people on the planet right now in terms of just like name brand recognition. Of course, they're going right. to be showing her on the sideline. She's dating a player on kind of the league's darling team who are mm-hmm. on like one of the most successful streaks in NFL history. But also it's like the NFL needs, the NFL in terms of it's like, audience like it's got it's basically gotten everything it can out of its current audience set like in terms of like people who are either born into football or people who are diehard football fans they kind of have their set like market and it's like that market isn't going to get that much bigger you have to like expand a little bit you have to find ways to get people who normally wouldn't be into football into football if you're going to grow and in today's day and age there has to be constant growth the line has to go up so it's like yeah all right so like there might be kids whose parents don't like football who can get into football through this. You know, mm. Taylor Swift's fans will watch football games just to, like, get a context for what just she's to up to. stalk, yeah. But I scrolled a little further on this article, and it does say that there will be a Christmas Day, that there's going to yes. be a, a Nickmas game. But that one's going to have um, Raphael and Donatello. Oh, God, those two knuckleheads together? Yeah, that's going to be something. Mm. No, you need Leo. He's shit. Like, he, he'll he give Mikey. you the no-nonsense, no-spin zone. Right, that's true. Yeah, he'll actually watch, be, pay attention to the game. I don't know. Mikey's a good sideline reporter because he can just make stuff up. But maybe Donnie will be good for, like, the statistics and stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, that's... Oh, God, did you see that story that some sideline reporter had just been making up interviews? <laughs> She's like, I asked the coach, and I'm like, you know what? I don't blame I would be doing him. the if same I, thing. <laughs> If I tried to chase down, like, a 50-year-old man with a clipboard and he just kept saying, got to play defense better, I'd go a little fucking crazy, too. I would be like, this just and I'm getting a text from Sean McDermott. He just says shrug emoji. Like, yeah, I'd just be saying shit like that. Like, you doing me dirty like that on the air? Come on. I would be 100% making shit up, too. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, I'm, I get a kick out of it, especially the Christmas one where I'm like, I know these are nominally important games where there's like playoff seating on the line, but it's like it's Christmas. No yeah, no come takes, on. No one should be taking Get Christmas slimed. games too seriously, right? Yeah, let's go. Get slime. <laughs> this isn't even your stop in NFL. This isn't your territory. This is basketball territory anyway. Right. Basketball's that's true. been doing Christmas games way longer than you have. So let's yeah. all just chill and vibe. We're playing um, on Christmas Day. Oh God. Them Eagles. Are they playing? Um, the Giants. The Giant, the Giant. Oh, we get Tommy fucking DeVito. Oh, Tommy <laughs> DeVito. Let me on get Christmas the bacon, Day. egg, and cheese on Christmas with Let the Eagles. Let me get Eagles. the bacon, egg, and cheese on Christmas. Cheese <laughs> with the drip. Tommy DeVito on Christmas. <laughs> He's gonna save Christmas. <laughs> Tommy DeVito's gonna Tommy save DeVito. Christmas and get the Giants a higher draft pick to replace He's him. He's gonna get that. Oh, let that me get the Caleb Williams with the bell. Me... <laughs> okay. We're cutting this out, right? Like we're not keeping this. No in the way. No, this has to stay in. I'll, we I'll, we, did I'll it. we have to stand by it. it. Okay. Um. 
So my internet minute for this week is a little bit of a simpler one. Uh, so recently, Disney announced that there are going to be special screenings for uh, Soul, Luca, and Turning Red in January, uh, February, and March. Uh, Soul will be January, Turning Red will be February, and Luca will be March. And oh, yes. right now they only have one time listed for, or one day listed for all of them. I really hope they keep them in for the week just because like maybe yeah. I don't want to go to the movies that day. Right. I mean, I still haven't seen Soul, but I think this would be a good opportunity to see oh, it. Oh, absolutely. I think that movie <laughs> on the big board. screen. Well, one, like that movie is so like auditory, like that mm. movie is so dependent on like a beautiful score and like a brilliant like color of music. That, like, I feel like that would be really, really cool um, yeah. in surround. Um, Did that ever have I, a theatrical I, release? Or are these all the things mm, that That didn't... was the first, yes. Okay. Soul was, like, heart of the pandemic. It was supposed to come out that Christmas. Um, so that obviously didn't make it. And then Turning, or, or Luca was the next one. They rearranged Turning Red and Luca in terms of the actual schedule, which makes sense because Luca's more of a warm weather movie. Yeah, but. Mm-hmm. Luca was, like, another sacrificial lamb, and I'm like, this sucks, but if it's the last one, then fine. One last sacrificial lamb before everyone gets the vaccine. You know, back when we thought this was actually going to end, but I digress. Yeah. Um, And then Turning Red was the one where it's like, this is starting to get outrageous. Like, Mm. you guys are actually doing this company dirty now. And, like, people are cynical about this in a number of ways, but one, it is... Like, let's not hide the fact that a part of it is you not, you don't have a lot of releases next year. Marvel has one release. You haven't announced uh, animated, like a Walt Disney animated film. You pushed Elio back for Pixar, and you only have uh, Inside Out 2. I don't know what any of the live action stuff is. You don't have Star Wars movie. Um, so you need stuff. You need stuff to release, and this is a simple, efficient way of doing that. But at the same time, And I would go on a rant about some comments Bob Iger made a little bit later, but, you know, the one thing he's consistently done is tried to do right by the Pixar company, and this feels like an apology, basically. It feels like taking an opportunity to fill out your release schedule and also apologize, Mm -hmm. because... All right, because let's be honest, like, and, like, Pixar was not quiet about their displeasure with Luca and Turning Red not even getting the premium access treatment. Mm, Um, This is a way to make up for that. And not to be that guy, y'all, like, I, look, I don't like to advocate, I never want to be like, you have to see this in theaters, you're, it's a, you're required to, but at the same time, it's like, you know, we all keep saying we love original ideas and we want more original ideas in theaters, well, here are three original movies that you already know you like that are in theaters, like, if you want to prove something to someone, this is the opportunity to do that. You can't, you can't hide behind the, well, maybe if it was a good original film, like, no, we know these ones are good, everyone like right. They were very right. pop- all three of them were very popular. Turning Red was a cultural sensation, even though it wasn't even in theaters. Right. Yeah, I can't wait to see that one in theaters. I'm definitely going to make a point to see that. Yeah, that, um, I mean, it feels like it's required. Like, right, absolutely. To see, to see Four Town on, on the big, the big screen, screen? Where they belong. After Ameri- 9-11? Well, North America's artists. North, yeah, North America's recording artist um, getting Godzilla'd. Uh, yes. I, I also love, 
I'm also just excited for the discourse about that movie to start up again because that got unhinged for a while there. <laughs> yeah. Lest we forget the great why don't they acknowledge 9-11 discourse yeah. of 2022. Right, that was a couple months ago. <laughs> like, that. <laughs> like I, it's a valid question. Uh, oh, is well. it? What, what's, you know what? Yeah, what, what's, the point of, what's the point of making the movies if you don't imagine a world without 9-11? <laughs> right. Again, it's like... <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with my media never acknowledging 9-11, COVID, just yeah. 90% of disasters and right. nightmares. Just, they don't exist in cartoon world. Everything's exactly. Fine. All right, let's get wishing. So, you know, as I was watching this, this film, here I am sitting in a movie theater by myself there was there was one other person that came in late which like why did people even bother like the movie was like well started and like a person had walked in like halfway through the first act and like what like i aren't you gonna i've seen this too many times <laughs> now i just kind of gotten numb to it 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 just like i just have questions i'm like i can't watch anything in the middle like that i haven't seen before like i just can't do that Anyway, um, so I'm, I'm watching this and like, I can't deny this. This is going to be a continuation of what my assumptions were about this. I've said this before when I talked about the trailers, but this is a movie for little kids. <laughs> like, and as I was watching, I was like, this is a kiddie movie. And like, it is it is a part of the reason why I kind of struggle to get on board with it. Now, like, if, if someone like me, me, of all people, who, like, collects dolls and, like... You do collect a lot of Barbie dolls. I do collect a lot of Barbie dolls. Is saying that something is kitty, like, we, we have an, an issue. This feels much more juvenile... Then, like, then then it's predecessors, like, Encanto. Do you, like, understand what I'm saying? Like, am I explaining that right? I, I remember saying this when the trailers dropped. I was like, this reminds me of the Disney Junior show, Sophia the First, which is, like, a preschool show about a, a like, a, like, they have their version of, like, a princess, and her name is Sophia the First. And it's like, this, I yes. feel like I'm watching a Disney Junior show. Like, it's this, like, I, I guess this boils down to the script and, like, sort of the style of, of writing that they went with here. But, like, it just feels, like, it just feels so juvenile. And it was kind of pulling me out of it. Like, the, this, 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 I don't know what it is. And I feel like I'm not really explaining it very well, but like it just feels kitty. It it lacks a maturity. It lacks like it, it lacks maturity. See, I don't know if I agree with that second part. I agree with its and I guess for me it's like I wouldn't use the word childish. I would use the word sort of like I'd use the word simple. Like hmm. and like again, one of the things that helped me calm down about all this. Well, two things. And it actually, you kind of actually walked me right into the quote I wanted to bring up from Jennifer Lee. Um, <clears throat> talking about this movie, 
or just about like Disney in general and like sort of the vibes around Disney right now. I think sometimes the narratives of the world out there, the chatter of the world makes it seem like, as you said, there are harder eyes on Disney. I would agree with that. But I'm like, and I'm like, but you know, it's partly because everyone feels like Disney is theirs. And I think we have to respect that. And that's part of being 100 and part of being Disney. All these Disney films and characters belong to people because people connect with them. And that just kind of made me realize, I'm like, oh yeah, this film's job was literally impossible. It was literally like seven arms, t- arms and legs tied behind your back because everyone has a different version of Disney they grew up with. Like, you know, we grew up in the 90s. We have a very specific image of what Disney is in terms of, like, musicals and villains and villain songs and, like, classical Broadway vibes and, like, a certain artistry and a certain rhythm and a certain cadence. But imagine growing up with, like, Bolt as your animated reference. Imagine, or imagine being older and being like, oh, I like, you know, I grew up when Sleeping Beauty was out in theaters. And for me, ultimately, the thing that kind of calmed me down on all of this is... For me, Encanto is kind of like the culmination. That is like the, that is like everything we've learned, everything we've built up to into one of our most thoughtful, mature, sort of like fully fleshed out films. It's like the best of the CGI ones. It's got the best music. It's the best use of music as storytelling. It's got the most robust characters. It's got like probably the strongest script. This is just a celebration. Uh, Like let's, you know, let's just vibe and celebrate and kind of, do the most Disney thing we can possibly imagine. It's kind of where I was with Turning Red in Elemental, where it's like, do the most Disney, do the most Disney or Pixar thing you can do. Like literally turn back the clock and make it the most elemental, simple, pure thing you can. And I do think like the result of that is a script that feels simpler, a script that feels sort of, I guess, lighter compared to Encanto. I guess, yeah. I I al- I also sort of credited credited that to the art style, which I definitely noticed my eyes kind of adjusting to it mm-hmm. like pretty quickly as I was as I was watching it. Um and I do think I liked it. I mean, uh, the the design and the art style that is, but I don't know. Uh, like yeah. I feel like I'm not really explaining what I mean. I mean I'm I'm I guess like you're you're getting what I'm trying to say. But No, I get it. I especially like the art style especially because it's so much like sort of lighter than yeah. the, like the last couple. Like going back, like I went back and watched some of the more recent ones. Like I watched a little Encanto, I watched a little like I guess Encanto's different because Encanto is also very like dreamy and expressionistic, but like especially mm. Raya and Strange World, I'm like God, the lighting on this just looks so different. Like yeah. we like we had so ingrained what a Disney animated film looks like. It just feels so much lighter. Especially the colors too, because the color palette is so purple. It's so like Yeah. I mean, they literally so used Sophia in the first colors, which I don't think. Yeah, periwinkle. Oh yeah. you know. This 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 whole courtroom's made of periwinkle. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. The art style, I will say it took me a while to get into the art style too, just because like maybe when you're introducing and this is very much like a tangled sort of film in terms of like, this is the first time we're tr- really leaning into an art style for the Disney musical, for like the big movies. Obviously they had CGI movies with Meet the Robinsons and Bolt, but like, they were Meet the, they were Meet the Robinsons and Bolt. And Bolt like yeah. Tangled was the first time it's like, all right, we're stepping up to the plate with this and going for it. So you can see like where the kinks are. You can see where it's like, they're still figuring out what they want this to look like. And maybe don't have a high energy sort of like 
world introduction number right away because I will say during Welcome to Roses, I'm just like, all right, we need to slow down. I like my eyes aren't processing all of this yeah. correctly. I don't know what I'm supposed to be focusing on. Like, but then once you like calm down, your eyes adapt. I actually really like how this looks. I will say, like, mm-hmm. I, I in terms of the direction, I like this. I hate to say it, but Strange World and Raya got way bumped down for me because I'm like, the lighting in this is so much more beautiful. Like, the character animation is so much cleaner and pops more. Like, mm-hmm. so much, when they go lean into the realistic lighting, it just makes it so hard to really, like, appreciate the character work because it's yeah. like, well, they're not animated characters. They're just figurines. Right. Whereas this, it's like, something about the softer and, like, sort of, I don't want to say flat, but sort of more like... A 2D s- effect. Artistic. Yeah. Yeah, I would say artistic over cinematic, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. It just lets you appreciate, like, all of the little character details, like how they move, their facial expressions. Like, it just lets you, it lets you appreciate animation more. And I think that, again, that's kind of the selling point for this. Like, people talk about the Spider-Verse style, and the whole point of the Spider-Verse style is, like, hey, let's do 2D movies in a 3D right. space. Um, and... I also liked it because I, I think they did learn all of the right lessons from Encanto. Because we talked about this with Encanto where it was – that for me, that was the first one where it's like, finally, you guys got this. You got the point of CGI animation. And I, I feel like one of my biggest maturity points in terms of, like, talking animation is appreciating that, like, CGI is not inherently the enemy of hand-drawn animation. It is a tool mm-hmm. that can be used to tell hand-drawn, like, stories with drawings and artistry. And, like, again, one of the advantages of CGI is, like, the ambitious things you can do with the camera. Like, you can... Having so much more control over, like, how the camera moves, how the space moves, that is just really, really hard to do in hand-drawn unless you have, like, James Baxter or someone doing all the work. And this... And and Kanto, compared to a lot of the other sort of CGI movies, was like, okay, we can use the camera, but let's also lean into, like, what's cool about hand-drawn, where it's very expressionist, where you, like can teleport people to different places. Like, you can have stuff like Louisa, like, lifting up the ground and sending you into this, like, sort of dream space. And for me, this movie does that really, really well. Where, like, we're transitioning smoothly, we're having these incredible, like, spins and zoom in, zoom outs. Uh, The entire sequence in the wish room where, like, the background just turns into color, I'm like, yes, good. You guys are understanding how to use this correctly and in a way that, like... A, a way that lets Disney artistry stand out. Hmm. If I was going to nitpick one thing, and I don't know how you feel about this, is it gets a little too homogenized at times. And I'm trying to think of how to say this in, like, in an interesting way. But, like, okay. and we've talked about this. So, like, with hand-drawn animation, the characters in the backgrounds are made of, like, different stuff. I was going to say like, that, yeah. Every, yes. every, everything on the screen is made of the same stuff. Yes, which is, again, I feel like that's always been the problem with the CGI movies. And while you've made it look prettier, you've not necessarily solved that problem. Right. Like, so, like, yeah, we've talked about it. So, like, in hand-drawn animation, you have this giant top-down view where you'll put the background on, which is paper and watercolor or paint. But then you have the characters, which are Xeroxed onto a clear sheet and then painted. So naturally, because it's a different texture, they have a dramatically different look. Like, the texture of them is different. If I was going to give one suggestion, assuming they want to go forward with this specific technology, is figure out a way to make the characters and, like, certain props and stuff, especially props, 
Because it's because like it's so funny in like the hand drawn movies, you can tell when a prop like something in the background is going to be used because it's like shaded differently. Like they're not going to bother like if there's like spices on a rack that a character is right. never going to touch, they're not going to bother xeroxing that. It doesn't right. move, so they just paint that on. But like if if like Mama Odie is going to grab something off a shelf, then yeah. it needs to be animated. It needs to be xeroxed. So, like, if you can find a way to do that for, like, certain props and characters, I think that would help a lot. That and, like, enunciating lines. Like, lean into the idea of, like, right, we have to pen in the pencil in the lines. Mm -hmm. Like, really help the characters pop out from the background a little more. Why do you think they, they went with this art style for this film? Because it's like, you know, I... I ask questions like that. Nothing nothing Disney has ever done before has ever looked remotely like this. Um, mm-hmm. And I ask that question because it seems like... It seems like every decision here it somehow is symbolic of or tied to the whole concept of the 100. And, like, and mm-hmm. maybe, that's, maybe that's a part of, like, when we talked about okay, Lightyear shooting itself in the foot by, like, announcing its own, like, thesis statement and then kind of veering away from it or or just not doing a good job at delivering of it. Like, is it fair to judge everything on that, on that scale of, like... Because maybe that is why... It's, like, it's not that I see anything wrong with it, like, my criticism of being a kiddie movie. Like... I don't necessarily see that as a problem, but I see that as like a big departure from the tone of the films that it's made before. And I see everything about this as it being a departure of the things that it's made before, even though it is supposed to be in somehow in reference or in memory of or in honor of everything it's done before. Hmm. That is an interesting question. It is like a weird balancing act because I do think it is like this film has to kind of serve two different purposes. One is, like, a culmination. It's, like, a celebration where we, like, sort of lately play the hits and sort of, like, evoke those memories. But also, like, yeah, it's at a transition point in the company where they've kind of, again, with Encanto, it's like, we have taken this ship as far as it can go. We need to find a new mode of transportation to carry the company forward. And this feels like a let's get back to our roots and basically, like, distill what a Disney film is and put it all in a pot and then go from there figure out the parts that we want to keep, the parts we want to lose, figure out how we want these to look, how they, we want them to sound, how we want them to move. And like, that's challenging when you're also doing a celebrate, you know, when you're also like, this is a hundred years, this is everything we've learned. Like it has a difficult balancing act. Like I think, like I think you, I did, again, you do, you put both your arms behind your back trying to figure out like the perfect balance. And I think right. ultimately they decided for, let's keep everything, Let's make it a fairy tale again. Let's like get back to like the most elemental, simple version of a fairy tale. Back to when characters were called the evil queen and the prince. And the princess, and... yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like again, one of the things I talk, like noted is it's like, yeah, like obviously in our heads, Disney always is trying to invoke the Renaissance. Certainly like Moana and Encanto and the entire era were definitely trying to invoke the 90s. But this is very much invoking, like, the 40s and 50s. This is explicitly trying to get back to, mm-hmm. like, Snow White and Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, where it is, like, 
elementally simple. Characters are very arc. The stories are simple and linear. And maybe we'll add some splashes of modernization. We'll add a few splashes of like nuance or like big ideas. But like, I guess I'm just coming to terms with the fact as we're talking about it that like, you know, because I I take no pleasure in saying that there's anything wrong with this film, but like that quote you said was really poignant in that like I guess I wanted something different than than like getting an Arendelle Frozen treatment because in so many ways this feels like a carbon copy of things like like Frozen. And even in Kanto in certain ways, like this, this feels like a cut and paste, like sort of paint by numbers. Hmm. I don't know if I, I agree with that in some ways and not others. And I want to stress, I really love this film, but at the same time, I'm not like a full blown acolyte. There are things I think need improve. Like, I think there are lessons from this film to like take into the next couple of these. And I guess that's, like, what I wanted to talk about. Like, I'm disappointed with a lot of the criticism about this film just being, like, lists of bullet points. Like, lists of, like, oh, the protagonist is adorable. And, you know, it's, like, it's basically no different than what they were doing with, like, Encanto and stuff. Where it's, like, oh, generational trauma again. Ha, ha, ha. And, like, you know, films are lessons. Like, every single one of these is a lesson to apply to the next one. It's, you know, it's its own thing, but also a part of a lineage. I guess for me, like, I think I appreciate the story and, like, think it's a little more complex than people have given credit for because simple does not inherit, like, simple or childish does not necessarily mean a lack of complexity. Like, I, I keep invoking the term okay. fairy tale on this. Apparently, I've been invoking fairy tale a lot to the point where Kevin did it as he was reviewing Godzilla Minus One, referenced that line to, like, make a joke about me. He was like, this wasn't like a fairy tale at all. Zero out of ten. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, fucking wise guy. I'd like to see you do this job. But anyway, like, I guess for me, like, the complexities or, like, the interesting stuff comes from the fact that I feel like people don't talk about how meta this movie is. I noticed it when Jenny Nicholson started talking about it. But Asha's an animator. Like, her, like, main prop, like, the main thing she has is a drawing book where she has drawings of things that matter to her. And... They literally do a joke when she meets King Magnifico for the first time where she goes, oh, and I made this. And it's a little flip book of a goat, even with the like little numbers to indicate what frame it is. And like, it, I, just so much of this movie makes more sense for me in terms of like getting back to the idea of a fairy tale being a morality, you know, taking these big ideas and using them as like a morality tale, like as teaching you lessons or like teaching you themes by keeping things so elementally simple in terms of, like, characterization and, like, story beats, it opens up room for you to get out of it what... get out of it what you're looking for or get out of it, you know, different interpretations. Because once I started approaching this from, okay, Asha's an animator, I'm like, okay, well, then what does that make everything else in this movie? Like, you know, Star clearly invokes, like, a retro cartoon. Is he Mickey Mouse in this scenario? Is Asha Walt Disney? And what does that make King Magnifico? Does that make it them his doubters? Does that make him universal? Does that make him a communist? <laughs> um, you know, if you ask Walt, that was his biggest enemy. Like, mm -hmm. does Asha represent just one modern animator or an artist trying to make it in the world? Because, like, again, they're invoking artists. They're invoking, like, creators. And, like, you know, this is a story about the magical power of creation, effectively. You know, she wishes and a star comes down who happens to look like a hand-drawn cartoon. Um, you know... 
like, and by extension, if Asha's an animator, that means this movie is inherently about Disney. It is about, you know, it's about Jennifer Lee, who's basically been the creative lead for one of the most successful periods in the company's history, grappling with Disney's place in the world and, like, what it means. Hmm. I don't know. Did any of that make sense? Yeah, it made sense. Like, I can, I can appreciate that, like, you get so much out of it. Um, yeah, we, we came away with totally different <laughs> attitudes. And, like, to be clear, I tried, I tried really hard to go in neutral or even optimistic about, because, like, from the trailers, like, I just wasn't feeling it. I just, like, mm-hmm. and I tried to put that away so that I could be objective about this. And I even tried to put it away, like, scene to scene, of being like, well, I didn't really care for that, but I'm gonna like let's keep it, it, like investigating this, maybe. But this is like you know this is not sort of my critical opinion. It's just like a matter of taste. It just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I felt very pulled away from this f- because of all of its very shoehorned in Disney references. Um, and I have to say, I would have preferred zero. Uh, references because like to me we have a movie that's got a bunch of Disney movie references and like a new fresh story to tell and I would have preferred one or the other I like and I and I felt that there was like a stark contrast between like a unique new story because it's like I'm not inherently like I actually like the plot like I I like the story that we're telling here a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And it just feels like forced, like Disney references. Yeah. See, I think that's funny for me. me. That's like two different things happening at the same time. And they don't feel like they naturally fit together at any point. And maybe I'm just a dense, dumb fella, which we can't rule out. But, like, I, there's only really two times I noticed the references and they felt like they got out of hand. There's one bit where King Magnifico is literally referencing people's wishes. And it's like, okay, they're literally referencing Mary Poppins here. And I'm like, I don't know, man, whatever. Chris they're Pine literally, is probably just vibing in the, they're literally, like, by name referencing yes. Mary Poppins, which I, like, is so fucking Which is cheap weird because it's not a Disney animated film. No, like, it's just, it's just dumb. Like, but there are things like there. It's not every reference that I hate. I actually really like. Is it spoilery to talk about the seven dwarves, or is that no? No, they've no. They've marketed the movie around them. Yeah, no, they've talked about it before. That's why I said, "Can I I read your text that you sent me when you realized this?" Because it's very (laughs) funny. I had Um, I almost stood up in my chair because it took me seeing them like for the third time on screen to be like, "Wait a minute." Like I totally, which is funny because I th- I assumed it, you knew because they've like talked about this. This I'm has been one of the, the things they pat themselves on the back about. <laughs> oh right, you're not on the internet. Fuck, we are the reverse. You're terminally offline. Yeah, I'm. Ter- um, yeah, it's a problem. I mean, yeah, you're realizing like, oh, it's very hard to exist in a society where you don't talk, where you don't have internet. Right. Um, hold on, where is it? Oh yeah. Ayo, these Johns are supposed to be Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, which I love because I'm like, <laughs> you watch one fucking season of football and you've just gone full uh, yeah. on Phil Pilled, full these, on Philly. Listen, look, listen, if you can say things like You've been chocolate, following this team for a year and a half. If you, you, okay, listen, like you're from Buffalo. My family's from Philadelphia, okay? I okay, talk like fair. this in the same way that you say things like chocolate, coffee, and all of your other dumb New York things. 
And well, yeah, which is funny because some of them aren't even New York things. I just have a weird thing where I pick up certain mannerisms and then I just commit to it. Like <laughs> okay. I learned through osmosis. If well, I hear if you have never heard weird, me say the word John before, that. I say John all the time. Anyway. <sighs> yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I almost stood up in my chair. Like I, it went over my head truly like the first couple times I saw him. It was not until like deep in the second act that I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, hey, yes. like, what, what's that meme of Leonardo DiCaprio where he's, like, pointing at the screen? That was me. Oh, from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Which yeah. I watch. I really, God, I'm so behind on this. <laughs> but, yeah, because there's a lot of stuff like that that's, like, just the right amount of, like, subtle and cute. Um, I'm personally a big fan of her Seven Dwarf characters. I think they're exactly me, me the right energy for the film, and there's just the right amount of them before they I just they wish they didn't like, announce their damn tiresome. names all the time. Like, like, I like them, but it's like, why do they do such corny shit? Like, how many times... Did the one because say, like, teens. that's because, like, that's why I'm grumpy. Like, I'm going to be like, yeah. this bitch. Like, well, why? Well, see, that specific <laughs> line comes from the one scene The one scene I genuinely do not like. There are scenes in this movie where I'm like, that's good, but not great. Mm-hmm. That scene I genuinely don't like. Well, uh, all right. First, let's talk about the teens. Yes. I, I like imagining Walt taking that line. There are these seven doors. I, imagine, I like imagining him going, <laughs> there are these seven teens. And he just keeps bringing it up to the point someone like, hey, man, we're trying to have like a cool vibe here. Can you stop bringing up teens, teens? please? <laughs> Especially just with that annunciation. Hey, fellow kids. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but they're like the exact right energy that's needed in terms of like kind of like a cute little wink, but also getting to have its own personality and mm-hmm. charm. Who's your favorite? Um. Well, I guess her her friend. Well, is is her is her friend? I don't remember her name. Supposed to be Snow White. Doc Dahlia. No, her main friend's supposed to be because Doc. I keep which is counting. I'm like, like the whole time yeah. I was like, one, two, three, four, five. No, wait, one, two, three. No. Okay, wait. Is are we counting Asha? Is Asha is is she a seven or is she Snow White? No, she's Snow White. Okay. she's the princess. <laughs> but but because they dress like wait, what did you say her friend's name was again? I can't remember. Uh, Dahlia. Dahlia. She she kind of looks like a Snow White to me. So that's why I, so yes. the, for a while I was that assuming that was she her. has the short, because she has the yeah, short she's black got, like, hair, the dark but features. she's Doc because yeah. she's the leader. I guess. Um, yes. But Dopey. Well, it is funny because like in Dopey the logic of Snow White, Asha is, Asha is like, well, Asha is supposed to be Snow White, but in Snow White, Snow White's role is kind of like the, she's like the sort of wry motherly figure for them. And I'm yeah. like, Asha, what is her job here? She's like a tour guide. She kind of does to her make own their lives thing. hard. They, like, honestly, they spend yes. the whole movie like being like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> uh, no. Well, see, that's one of the interesting, and we'll talk about Asha as a character in a minute, I suppose. But like, yeah, they seem very like, <laughs> this is fucking exhausting. Could you not, could you just have not? I, like, I know ultimately this is all going to work out for us and we'll all be happier for it. But Damn. just, God damn! You know, we were in a happy little authoritarian regime. Like <laughs> right. we all Come were, on. like you know, we, we were, were fine eating the cookies. With the way things were. Yeah, we made the cookies. Everyone right. was happy. Great. Like we all worked at the castle, except you for some reason. Right. Like you know, we were all vibing. You just, mm-hmm. you just had to. You just had to. You just had to. You just had to be the main character. Right. The camera just had to follow you out of this room, didn't it? <laughs> um, but, Who, who's your um, favorite? My favorite is the dopey um, guy. Basima. Uh, I like the shy one. Although the... Oh, don't bashful. be one... See, that's... I like how weirdly melancholy this film gets, despite being so kiddish. I like I like that they lean into Sleepy, who's inexplicably voiced by Evan Peters um, of Quicksilver hmm. fame. They establish the idea of, like, oh, once you give up your wish, you forget it. 
And like to give up a wish, to like forfeit that part of your soul, you lose something of yourself. That is like a part of you. It's effectively your soul. And he's sleepy because he doesn't have that part of him. He doesn't have that spark mm. and motivation. And all of his friends make a note of it. And do they do all get a little catty with each other? But it's you can't say Wait, it's not he's realistic not for the teens. One, which one like big guy goes off to like work for what's his name? That big guy shaped like a square. Right. Okay. Like he looks like Wreck-It Ralph for like for real. Yes. Okay. Vaguely Wreck-It Ralph. I like that adjacent. stuff too. I actually like that that whole um, arc that he yes. goes through. Yeah, and that's like exactly what this movie needed. And again, it has this melancholy thing of like this person basically has control over your soul and if you don't get it back, you're never going to be whole again. It, like there's a particularly scene I really like where basically because Asha challenged him, Magnifico's like, hey, cool, so I'm never going to grant your grandpa's wish. He's going to die without, revu- you know, fulfilling <laughs> his like dreams in life, his purpose. Right. He's going to feel like Which half a person for the rest of his days. shredding on the guitar. Yes, which his dream is just to <laughs> rock the fuck out of him. He wants to footloose. He just wants this to be footloose. Uh, Magnifico. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and like, Asha's like, I saw your wish, just please let me tell you what it is, and then maybe you can't. And he just refuses. He's like, how? That's the cruelest thing you could possibly do. Tell me something I can't have. And I'm like, yes, this is the energy... And honestly, that's one of my bigger nit... Honestly, if I have nitpicks of the movie, I really do think, like, at some point, King Magnifico realizes he can literally crush the wishes, like, literally kill wishes. And, Mm -hmm. like, if your wish gets destroyed, then you're just, like, catatonic almost. Like, you're a shell of yourself. Mm. Like, you feel that loss. And I'm like, the people who lose their wishes can't get them back at the end of the movie. There has to be, like, a... Well, they'll figure out a new dream someday. But, like, Mm -hmm. there has to be, like, some kind of consequence to that. Right, right. We're jumping around all over the place. But in terms of the references, which is the main thing, like that or like there's a scene where Magnifico's making a staff and he's just listing off the ingredients, which is a Snow White reference, like old school magic sort of stuff. Or like having a talking mouse. I'm like, oh, that's cute. Or the fact that the bear is called John and has kind of a jazzy vibe to him. (laughs) Like little things like that I appreciate. But there is one scene in this movie, near the end of the movie, sort of the resolution has happened. Like I actually think the final confrontation, like... If there's one thing they learned from the Lin-Manuel Miranda movies is your final boss fight, if you're going to have a final boss fight, it has to be done through song. Like, Mm. these are musicals. It's better if it's done through song because it lets you express the themes of the movie better. Yeah. But, and I think that's beautiful. It's well-realized. It's well, like, designed in terms of sequence. It captures, like, a lot of the themes of this movie in terms of, like, our place, you know, Disney's place in this world is to inspire people to pursue their dreams. It's an artist's job to inspire people to pursue those dreams. Perfect. Good. Mwah. And then there's an after credit scene. That's also a great ending where the grandpa's arc is fully realized. I won't spoil what it is, but it is actually like, it is, if there was, if this is how they're going to cap the Disney 100, it's kind of perfect. Mm-hmm. It is just the right amount of like sweet, sincere, while also patting yourself on the back a little bit. Right. But in between those, there is a scene where we inexplicably have like seven references back to just, back to back to back just to back. thrown at you. Yeah. And I'm just like, who? This feels like a studio note because this is like. Yeah. And it really, and it sucks because I'm like, I straight up think if you just cut the scene, like just figured out how to get like the two important pieces of information into either the after credit scene or the like the grand finale. I genuinely think people would have been a lot nicer to this movie. I genuinely mm. think because that's like the last note this movie leaves you on. Some people just couldn't get past that. Mm-hmm. And I honestly was annoyed because I'm like, 
damn it, I really like this movie. Don't end on this note. Right. Can we talk about the music a little bit? Yes. Um, you know, I think I'm like, I think I can finally put my finger on why I really was not into the music. Um, and perhaps I just need to give it another listen, like just listening to the soundtrack by itself. <laughs> but if if my critique of the script is that it's too simple, my critique of the m- music is that it's a little too busy. Huh. And I think... There's one song I very much agree with you on that front. Well, it's like, I speaking of Lin-Manuel Miranda, it's like, I couldn't help but be like, this is, it, it's giving, it's giving Lin-Manuel Miranda, except that I can tell that he had no part in this. <laughs> right. But except it's like, he's busy doing Little Mermaid. But it is funny because for me, Lin is such a logical successor to Howard Ashman, just in terms of like oh, their specific question. theatrical knowledge and sensibility. Right. And also being hip to the times. <laughs> but like, yeah. with with this, um, there's a lot of like, th- there's a lot of word acrobatics that don't need to be there. Mm. I think this, like, I think they opted away from really straightforward, simple melodies, which I think these characters would have benefited more, or that this story would have benefited more from songs that were more catchy and not sort of written like haikus. <laughs> yes. The one song in particular I agree with you on is I'm a Star that gets very, like, busy. And, like, yeah. it's a song that I like the premise of. It gets weirdly granular about I stars, like literally. Scene, but I hate the song. Oh, all hell is breaking loose because mm-hmm. a powerful cosmic ball is giving all of the animals the power to talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that it's, like, and I like the thematic idea of it, of, like, Yes, we are all connected to each other. Like the universe, like stars, we're all made of stardust. Mm -hmm. And I like that sort of like part metaphor, part magical, part literal sort of triad. But yeah, then it gets very like, you know, the dictate, you know, it gets very like wordy in a way that just kind of overwhelms the message. This is one of the areas where the Snow White thing comes into play where it's like, those early ones are not really musicals. They just have, they're like episodic movies that end with music. Yes. yes. They they're trying to get a radio. They hit. literally get a whistle hit. while they work. That's it. Yes. It like I would I would describe it as like there was this era pre-Broadway musical um mm. in America where I believe they called them like star vehicles where it's literally just like hey, we're going to do a bunch of funny skits Call and Selenium. scenes that will be, end yes, where that <laughs> will end with a song. Like mm-hmm. No No Nanette is like a good early example of that where it's like yeah, the songs kind of tell the story, but they're not like, you know, right. there's not a musical. You can't learn the whole story through the songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, and in general, I think that's like one criticism I have. I think all of the melodies, like all of the choruses are really, really good. And I think sometimes they get overwhelmed by like the stitch, the parts that stitch them all together. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's like a lot of classic, like sort of modern pop Broadway problems of like, this wish is a good example. It gets very metaphor heavy. So like, I love, like, I love the melody for that. The, so I make this wish. There's so many Me beautiful too. lines in it, but we have this section where she's like, I got all this freedom in my bones, but I keep the lid on. So it doesn't overflow. Um, and then at one point she says, I'm past dipping my toes in, but I'm not, no, I'm not past diving in. And I'm like, that's three different metaphors that are kind yeah. of overwhelming the vision of stars as a guiding light. It's um, also like, it's I hate to say this, but it's like I I hate I hate songs that rhyme like every line. 
as mm. opposed to like a sort of a two four thing where it's like every other line rhymes with yes. it, the the every other line. I hate when every right. single line ends on the same rhyme. Well, it's funny because I was listening to a criticism of the Percy Jackson musical that had that same problem where it's like A, B, A, B, A, B, mm-hmm. or A, A, B, B. And it's like, you know, this very like basic sort of rhyming scheme. And it's like, man, you really can just look at modern sort of pop Broadway and get all, understand the parts of this that work and don't work, mm-hmm. which is catchy melodies, really good singers, like great staging. Again, all the songs are staged beautifully. I think like they nailed that part. Mm-hmm. Um this is the thanks I get gets a little too like into slang terms for what's like such a classical story, which is another problem that like a lot of modern musicals have. Mm-hmm. Like the line that I keep getting hung up on is Magnifico says the line, um, peep the name I'm magnificent. And I'm just like, why did it have to be peep there? Like, why couldn't right. it be, you know, my name or check respect na- my name? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Something. Even check. It's like, that's kind of more nineties slang. So it's a little, it is a little, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I guess, again, we're showing our, like, why isn't this more like the 90s Our ones? reference, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, like, little things like that whole keep it, for me, keeping the soundtrack at, like, a B, B minus, as opposed to the A plus that I think a lot of the material is capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm curious, wait, do you have a favorite song from the soundtrack? Um... I actually think I don't remember any of the names of anything, but it's when when Magnifico is is like showing her the wish room. Yes, <laughs> I okay, really I'm like that one. one. Mm-hmm. That one I've been listening to a lot more than I'd like to admit. Mm-hmm. It is, and I guess for me, like at this point with Disney musicals, I want at least one or two songs that are a context in a sequence that I haven't seen in one of these movies before. That's why I love Encanto having two songs for the sisters, because it's like, well, they're not villain songs, but she does have a tense relationship with her sisters. Like, it feels unique. Mm-hmm. Or like Dosa, uh, like the two Caterpillars song. Like, I like that that's like not something we've seen in a Disney movie necessarily before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like At All Costs, because that is like a new context. It is kind of this like dreamy, swooning lullaby. And that kind of underlines the strengths and weaknesses of our hero and hero, heroine and villain. Mm. Um, it looks gorgeous. The way, like, the room just turns into pure color. Mm-hmm. There's actually a conspiracy about this song. Um, so I told you about, like, the orig- one of the original ideas they were playing around with was the idea that the star comes to Earth as a guy. Handsome boy. Pretty boy. That's um, not the word you used, so- but Okay. <laughs> But I don't know if you're ready to be canceled today. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, so people think this was a love ballad between them. We don't have any evidence of this. It's just because the demo of the song uses the phrase love you as one does instead of a promise as one does. Um, and I don't know. A lot of people would say they would have preferred that version of the movie where it's like a romantic film. And I'm like, I mm, not. I love the idea of like a cosmic love interest, but not for this specific movie. Because again, mm-hmm. if this movie is about wishing and the idea of a wish being a soul, it's like, so she wishes for a boyfriend? Right. Or or to put it another way, like, like all right, if her wish, if a wish is your soul, she's basically dating herself. That's like kind of weird and narcissistic. That's literal narcissism of falling in love with yourself. Right. Also, it's like having the sort of carefree scamp is more fun in like Princess and the Frog when it's like they're both on equal playing levels. Yeah. When the lovable scamp can literally rearrange atoms, it's a lot less charming. Mm. Like, you know, 
Naveen, you know, Naveen and Tiana both being frogs basically puts them on a same yeah, societal level. and broke. And Tiana's resourcefulness, like, you know, gets them out of it. Right. But I digress. Anyway, yeah, I love that song. I also am a big fan of Knowing What I Know Now, which is the song all of her friends sing together. Because, again, that's, like, a song we haven't really had a Disney parallel to. Mm-hmm. It's like a, you know, it's like a call to action song. It's like a revolution song. Um, mm. I like that sort of the arc of this movie is in a certain respect is Asha kind of coming to terms with the fact that she's in an authoritarian dictatorship. Right. Um, Cause like welcome to roses. I like, I questioned its purpose in the song cause it doesn't teach us anything we don't learn from the storybook section, but I like it better with when you put it together with knowing what I know now. Cause it's like Asha is all in on the propaganda. We keep going by all these statues. We keep eating the cookies. We're like, mm-hmm. you know, we're vibing like, yeah, King Magnifico rules. This place is right. great. Let's not question any of this. And then she's like, you know, now that I look at it, the giant, like, the giant murals of this guy looking like a god are kind of fucked up now. Yeah, is this a dictatorship? Yeah, now that um, I think about it. You know, um, I have a question. Like, and maybe this is, like, reading a little too closely into it or not engaging with the plot, but, like, if if you have no idea what your wish is, then who cares? Well, that's the, like, that's the moral quant. Like, that's King Magnifico's justification of, like, okay. you know, like, hey, you know, it's no skin off your back because, it, you know, you won't even you remember it. You You'll don't just, even know. If you don't get your wish granted, who cares? You didn't remember it. Yeah, you're still the same but person. But Asha's, yeah, and that's, like, yeah, that's the difference between Asha and King Magnifico. Like, her, the song, I, the line that kind of, helps me define her character better is um, if knowing what it could be is what drives me. Again, she's like an idealist. She's an advocate. She's a dreamer. She wants to see the world as what it could be, not what it is. Whereas King Magnifico approaches it from this pragmatic of like, oh, well, whatever. I'll grant like one wish a year and everyone else will just be chill. They'll be fine. Like, yeah, they're not the fullest version of themselves. They're missing a part of themselves, but whatever, you know, I keep them safe. So that justifies it all. Mm. I just a thought. Again, yeah, no, it is an interesting, and it's, like, and that's what I mean in terms of, like, it's a simple story, but it has, like, complexities to it. Like, it has complex mm-hmm. characters, which I, like, again, I, I appreciate the complexities they add with Asha and King Magnifico. And the only other song I was really thinking of is, I really like the reprise. Again, it's, like, the exact ending this movie needed, and, like, mm-hmm. it reminds you why you want to get Broadway talents for this, because Andrea's ability to sort of, like, wobble her voice and do these like sort of freestyle like plays on the like the you know the main line uh just really come into play there mm-hmm. like i don't know again for asha it's like ariana debose this is why you get broadway people mm-hmm. and i guess i've been pushing back against this whole like adorkable quirky conversation with these characters because i feel like it just I reduces them all <laughs> like One, but, it's but is, the, is that it's, the worst thing that someone could be right it's like you know, there were so strict rules about what a Disney princess couldn't couldn't be. Like, in terms of literally right. how they're drawn and how they move, they have to be so strict and tight. It's like, can you bl- not blame an animators for, like, a decade being like, let's just make them fun. Let's have yeah. fun. Yeah. And it's like, it also reduces their personalities. Like, I like Mirabeau because she has a chip on her shoulder. Everything she does mm. is, like, to try and compensate for the fact that she's not unique. Moana's a leader. She's, like, a diplomat. She's actually pretty good right. at her job as a queen. She just doesn't yeah. necessarily want that to want be her life. Want that job. Yeah. Yeah, Anna is, like, 
Anna's awkward because she's cripplingly lonely. Her whole right. character is like she hasn't she's isolated. had someone important in her life for decades. Yeah. And it's like for me, I like Asha because she's again, it's she's an advocate. She's like she is like what we want artists to be. We want them to be like dreamers who imagine better worlds. I keep talking about animation as like a dream, as like a dreamed vision of the world. And that's like her whole arc. She's like, no, everyone deserves to have this part of themselves and deserve to aspire to more. They shouldn't just be content being safe behind castle walls. Right. One other thing I also like is I kind of do like we point that all of, the, all of her friends kind of point out she is a little bit selfish though. Like, (laughs) she never is able to successfully refute the fact that, like, you know, the grumpy one points out, like, hey, you know, you really want this job because it'll let you cut the line and make sure your mom and your grandpa get their wishes. I'm glad somebody calls that. Right? She's never able to successfully resist that. And even when she decides to turn on King Magnifico, it's, she, like, she only steals her grandpa's wish. She doesn't steal anyone else's. Like, her arc is realizing, like, oh, yeah, no, I have to do this for everyone. It can't just be about me anymore. It can't, like, there's no version of this where, like, King Magnifico gets to exist. Right. Um, I so, I don't know. I'm a big fan of King Magnifico, too. And, like, I think... Honestly, me, too. I think he's fine. Yeah. Like, some people pitch the idea of him being, like, a little older and stuff, but I'm, like... He's the one thing I feel, like, changed a lot during the production of this, because I imagine, like... It feels like at some point he was going to be a twist villain or like a build-up villain, but I kind of like the fact that they make him like a young, handsome guy, I think kind of underlines like he captures a very specific energy of like the charitable person these days. Like, you know, Mm, I'm not going to name names because we don't need sycophant fans getting up my butt, but like he really very much reminds me of a certain like a certain content creator who's always like, hey, guys, we put 47 girls and 58 boys in a room together. You won't believe what happens. I'm giving away $2 million. Yeah, like I'm hosting a game show where I'll give away $2 million and then I'll go to that person's house and underline how shitty all of their stuff is. Aren't I the best? Right. Don't I rule? Don't you want to eat a burger? Yeah. Hey, I have burgers with my name on them. I also have fucking chocolate. If we needed to underline this point even more of the comparison. <laughs> and the minute someone calls him out, some the minute someone goes, "Hey, isn't it kind of fucked up? You're like making effectively making propaganda for yourself and like a self-grandizing yes. you by making it content." He immediately goes like, "Well, I I'm good. I I I'm cool." Yeah, haters back off. Haters, back off. You guys would vote for me if I ran for president, right? Right. <laughs> right. right. Um, and yeah, that's, like, I don't know. I guess, like, in terms of, like, <laughs> figuring out the balance between classical fairy tale stuff and modernization fairy, t- like, modernizing it, I'm like, this is how you modernize an evil queen. This is how you modernize sort of, like, the broad sort of, like, cackling villain. Um, and the only other thing, I mean, honestly, we kind of covered most of yeah. my notes. Um, my only other big note is, again, it, this is the most homery, of course, Carter likes this, star. Yes. You <laughs> said the line, every movie has a Korg, but not every Korg makes it. And I would like to expand that too. Every Disney movie wants a marketable plushie mascot who we can all love, but not all marketable right. plushies make it. And it is like, cause like we like we generally are positive about Strange Worlds, right? Like we're generally we are. like Yeah, we're yeah. in the camp. I feel of like that. we defend it more. And I like the little splat guy, but I'm like, I don't need a splat plushie. I don't need 
you know, that does nothing for me. Like, I don't care about, like, I'm not passionate enough about the movie to justify that. Meanwhile, even though Pua is in literally, like, 15 minutes of Moana, I'm like, right. and we're like well, give obviously, me I need a little pig plushie. Yes, yeah. please. It really is, like, the delineation of, like, the classic Disney movies and the not classic ones. It's like, how many, how many of those, how many plushie mascots they sold? But, like, I would argue that again, this film doesn't need a talking goat. I ended up, I don't love the goat, but I enjoyed him more than I thought. In general, I like the humor of this movie way more. I think, like, the written jokes are very funny. Uh, particularly the breakdancing chickens part kind of got me in terms of, like... I was expecting that to be its own song or it at least been. more. That's another nitpick I have. That should have been an entire song. Like, it that was, been a it was truly... Guest bit. Yeah, it was truly no more than what was in the trailer. Like, what right. you see in the trailer was it. Which is disappointing because, again, it's yeah. one of the funnier ideas. I right. love, I do love the goat and the star together are just disaster artists. Like, this little ball of cosmic energy just cannot help but create chaos. Anytime it's left alone for more than 15 seconds, something's on fire. Something right. is sentient that shouldn't be. A squirrel said hello to someone today, and they don't know how to respond to that. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, he is kind of the perfect character for the Disney 100 in terms of, like, so much personality... Like, it's so much personality from just simple facial expressions, mute comedy, and the ability to stretch around. Mm -hmm. Like, if there's one emphatic, I feel like even people who don't like this movie, if there's one emphatic capital W win for this entire movie, it is, like, Star is, like, a new Disney classic character. And, like, at the end of the day, that's kind of, like, if one of the principles of Walt Disney Animation is like creating characters, personality-filled characters, then they succeeded. Right. Again, I understand not necessarily loving the story of this, but you can't deny the amount of passion that went into every little frame of animation. Like, and I guess that's what disappoints me about so much of the Disney discourse this day. It, like, it focuses so much on Bob Iger and so much on executives right. that it doesn't appreciate that it's like they still have like hundreds of the most talented animators the world has ever seen mm. in there at any given time. Look, I, I really like this movie and I've inadvertently become an advocate for it because I, I genuinely did not expect the discourse around it to get so toxic so fast, but... I, talking about it has made me realize I actually, I like more about it than I remembered. Right. You know? And I kind of yeah. had the same thing where I started, like, that was pretty good. And then, like, I looked over clips and stuff again. I'm like, oh, remember that part? Oh, that's really good. I really like this. Mm. I really like that. And I'm like, shit, I actually just really like this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I was all in on just being like, you know, it's simple, it's sweet. There's the one line that uh, Sabina, like his her grandpa says, where he finally sees his wish and he just goes, it's so simple, so pure. And I'm like, that's kind of a good distillation of this movie for me. But even then, I, there's so much about it that I think is just really interesting and unique. But instead, we've like, we've distilled it down to the most common, like, again, that's what annoys me so much about like, modern animation criticism, where it's like, because it is Disney, we're not inherently going to engage with the idea that it has artistry. We're just going to, you know, Disney's bad, so this, you know, we're just going to list off all of, like, the sort of tropes and arcs and stuff. Right. And I'm like, well, then we don't learn anything. We don't grow. We don't appreciate what's good while improving what's bad. We're just saying stuff. It is interesting. I do have a theory about why this movie is struggling a little bit. Okay. So, like, I think because... Basically, Disney has had three movies that have kind of had weird receptions and, like, not done so great at the box office to start. Wish, uh, Elemental, and uh, Marvels. And Elemental is the only one so far, obviously it can turn around for Wish, that has really been able to beat 
sort of win sort of turn the tide and end up actually becoming pretty financially successful and one of Walt Disney and Pixar's most successful original films in a while. And it really is that meme I sent you of like YouTube videos. Like if you search up Wish now, it really is yeah. like one or two, think about how many clips Disney has shown of this movie, like how much promotional stuff they've done. But you go to YouTube and it's all like images of Asha behind a burning Walt Disney company or like them looking shocked and like- Picture of Brie Larson. <laughs> look, with with angry eyebrows, like with her eyebrows, like photoshopped <laughs> to look like she's angry. Like she's doing yeah, a scowl. Like, or yeah. like Bob Iger with the text, we're screwed. Right. Um, Although now this week it's all Godzilla stuff because you always have to like, because, you know, the content form dictates you reference whatever the most recent film is. So it's mm-hmm. like Godzilla destroys woke Disney. Right. And it's Asha looking sad as like Godzilla has the line, <laughs> I eat woke films for breakfast. I swear to God that is one of them. Um, and it is like, and it's interesting because like the YouTube sort of people tried to do that with Elemental, but for some reason it doesn't stick with Pixar. Like, you know, there was weird discourse for Turning Red for, like, a week, but then everyone's like, nah, this is good, shut up. And even Lightyear, it's like, we all just kind of stopped talking about that after two weeks. We kind of just let that go. For some reason, Pixar has, like, this grandfathered-in sort of respect that keeps that sort of, like, click generation from occurring. Whereas, like, that never turned around for the Marvels. That is, like, any any good positive word of mouth, people like us being like, hey, it's actually great, you should really watch it like kind of just got drowned out in the discourse and it's the same mm-hmm. thing with Disney and that's what dis- and I think that's what disappoints me about Bob Iger's recent comments you knew I was going to bring this up but like he kind of he well, he's made some comments about the Marvels where he's like well it was during covid so a lot of us weren't on set and that's what happened basically implying like the movie's not bad cuz there aren't more people sticking they didn't their fingers babysit in the pie them. yeah yeah which is objectively untrue the reverse actually because then we wouldn't have gotten cats eating people right um, and, and you're like, oh, so that's who's been leaking all these stories to Variety, yelling about Nia DaCosta. Um, and then he made a comment of like, we need to step away from messages. And it's like, what do you mean? Because movies have messages. What? They're called <laughs> themes. That's a building block of storytelling. Like, <laughs> if you didn't have a message, why the fuck would you waste why time you making a movie? spending hundreds of million dollars on a movie? Yeah. Like, the whole point of art, which is the point, like, again, in this movie is the idea that you have something really important you want to say, and the only way you can express it is creativity. So clearly he means, like, oh, we're going to feed these, like, you know, we're going to shut up these YouTubers by not being woke. And it just pisses me off because it's, like, I don't know. It's, it's like, the first time I've been, like, down on Disney in a while. Because for all, like, the negative discourse, I'm like, but the stuff they're making is good. But the stuff they're making has heart and soul and, like, energy to it. Mm-hmm. And... It's hard not to think about, you know, Wish being a movie about telling guys like that to fuck off. Well, until we're back looking up at the night sky, wishing with all of our hearts, I'm Carter. And I'm Sydney. Have a magical day. Thanks for listening. The Disney Desk is brought to you by Carter and Sydney. Follow us on Twitter at Disney Desk for the latest updates about the show. Want more of the most magical podcast on Earth? The Disney Desk is now on Patreon. For exclusive weekly bonus content from us, go to patreon.com slash Disney Desk and become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Thank you.
I like that you're giving it like a Seinfeld. <laughs> like yeah, I come sliding in, and everyone's like, <laughs> "We got wish." What's, what's Sydney? the deal with? <laughs> what's the deal with Disney movies? Okay. I love that you go Jerry and I go Kramer. I feel like that's right? <laughs> yeah, that's honestly that's that's the energy. They wished me Jerry. They wished me. <laughs> that, oh God, what was the? Someone had a tweet that was like Jerry's plot. Oh man, she gets a she gets an egg McMuffin every day, an egg McMuffin once or twice a week. Well, that's okay, but every day Kramer's <laughs> plot, and it's that is the, it's grimace on the car at the Thanksgiving Day parade, and it's just a sniper. Like, oh my god, on his head. <laughs> oh my god. Also, soda was not the best choice immediately after a run. Why didn't I listen to the Franklin Institute? I don't know. Right? Yeah. Come on. I'm you should fool. know this by now. I learned we internalized this. We saw that poor guy. Right. This is dry now. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want to kick us off? Yes. Yeah, it's definitely like, it really is like the cart. Because when I stretch, it does feel better. Mm. It's annoying. You're getting I'm old. Sort it out. Yeah, I'm an old crusty fuck. <laughs> yeah. Right. Whatever you're heading.